You're listening to Lost and Sound. Paul Hanford. I'm a writer, a podcaster and a DJ in Berlin. And I've always believed that one of the best ways we come together is through music. And through this series, we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the people who, when they make music, they do it utterly in their own way. Past guests have included Peaches, Chili Gonzalez, Ghost Poet, Letitia Sadier, and first and more. And each week, I have a conversation with someone who I think approaches music in a fresh and exciting way. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I hope you're good. I hope you're having a really lovely, exceptionally lovely time at the moment. And welcome to Lost and Sounds, the podcast, of course, where we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their thing and do it in their own way. Because beautiful things that people make don't come from a hierarchy of hoarding knowledge, but they come out of sharing. And today, we have not one, but two guests that I speak with, both at the same time two artists that I think for the last years now have been laying down distinct sound worlds in a variety of different projects and collaborations. We have Nick Kolkvoid and Alexander Tucker who have just released an album together, their first collaborative project together as Brood X Cycles. Both artists have such a rich history in different projects and collaborations, always taking experimental approaches, always delving deep into exploring processes and ideas, always making music that feels, however it sounds, kind of feels dark and enchanting and and transformative and transgressive all at the same time. Nick Kolkvoid with Factory Floor, with her collaboration Carter Tutti Void with, of course, Chris Carter and Cozy Fanny Tutti, and with NVPR with the late Peter Rayberg. And just a few months ago, she released her first solo album, Bucked Up Space, which is amazing. And Alexander Tucker with projects like Microcorps, Non-Existent, Grumbling Fur, and, of course, his many solo albums, uh, my personal favourite, Guild of the Asbestos Weaver, which we go into we talk about a little bit in in uh in this episode um so we had this conversation about this collaborative piece of music that they made as brood x cycles uh the out the collaborative improvisations that they made over two days have been collected together and the album is called sleep nameless fear and it's everything 
you'd imagine from these two artists it's hypnotic it's richly detailed it manages to be chaotic and ordered at the same time and i feel like listening to this what they gave is so generous like this how they spoke with me and that you're about to hear and to share with you is such an insight into processes that can often feel like the dark arts that can often feel like how do they do that how do people do that uh so we go quite deep into uh processes of collaboration and of improvisation in a way that i think i think makes these things very very accessible and human and and uh inspiring there is one heads up a lot of talk uh references are made to eurorack Now, if you're not familiar with Eurorack, um, it is uh, the modular synth format. I'm sure many of you are aware of Eurorack, but just in case, uh, give it a little Google. But it, they're talking about modular synths, as I'm sure you can gather anyway from that. I'm probably just kind of being a bit fussy, like I've got a bunch of people coming around for tea and I'm a bit worried that there's not enough saucers and cups. <laughs> um little heads up my book coming to berlin global journeys into an electronic music and club culture capital is out right now on velocity press thanks so much to lauren laverne for inviting me on last week to six music to talk about it and you can listen back to that on the bbc iplayer for the next 30 days and we're doing a london book launch on july the 7th in hagerston I will give more details of that coming up shortly. But right now, this is what happens when I had a chat with Nick Colkvoid and Alexander Tucker. Hi, Nick. How Hi. are you doing? Good. Uh, great, great. Uh, okay. I wasn't Excellent. sure whether it was 10 or 10. Are you in Berlin? I'm in Berlin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't sure if it was 10 your time or 10 our time, so that's good. Oh, <laughs> excellent. I, this, it quite often happens, actually, here. I always kind of like sort of a little bit on tender hooks for both those hours to, <laughs> to kind of make sure. Yeah, to yeah. jump on. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So it's like, so it's 10 o'clock your time. Yes, that's right. It's yeah, 11 yeah. o'clock here. Yeah, how, yeah. How, how, is, how is life in Berlin right now? Sunny. Um, today it's like hot but grey. Very Ooh. classically Berlin in a way. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. there's absolutely no <laughs> no colour in the sky whatsoever. But it's it's sort of still it's still kind of quite nice in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how, yeah, Sorry. yeah, it's it's really sunny here, but when it's sunny, it's darker inside. So I guess that makes sense. So, yeah, totally. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where where are you? I, I'm in Norfolk, actually, in oh. in by the North Norfolk kind of coastline, about 10, 10 miles from there inland. But um, I've been here for a few years now. Um, moved from London a few yeah. years ago because I've been traveling a lot. It's nice to come back to somewhere quiet. I have to say, with space mm, as opposed might, to a box. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it, it must be so nice as well of having the option of sort of shutting shutting out the hurly burl when you need to. Yeah, as well. yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, okay. hi, um, hi, Alex, Alexander. How are you doing? You, all right? Yeah, good. Uh, thank you. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for speaking with me uh, today. And yeah, I mean, I absolutely love the album, and it kind of 
what I love about listening to it, I've been kind of going around Berlin with it on my headphones in the last week, is it kind of sounds both incredibly like you both individually and it sounds so both naturally combined as well. How, how did you first get the feeling that you would kind of work well together or, or that you wanted to kind of do something together? Yeah, we didn't plan it at all, I think, did we? We didn't have any kind of preconceived uh, ideas, really, except that we kind of wanted it to be beat-orientated and drone-orientated and use kind of processed acoustic instruments and that was about all we kind of decided upon really mm. uh, when did you first meet each other hmm. um well it was um at factory floor show at the oval space in london oh, yeah. <laughs> um i i invited alex to dj as grumbling fur and Alex turned up and I, I didn't know it was Alex till about I, I'm not sure I might have been to the point you went DJing because you'd cut your hair so you had yeah. like this long hair did you have a beard before yeah, yeah, and I, I had hadn't long... met you I'd just seen photos of you so yeah. I was like who is this dude this really friendly dude backstage oh he must be someone else's friend guess and yeah so that's how we first met so I didn't re- manage to talk to you in depth that night um because obviously yeah. then factory floor kicked off and you know literally and <laughs> so um I think we just um we we just got we have mutual friends and we just kept in touch and um we'd both you know, you'd, you'd introduced yourself to modular Eurorack. So, and, and I was using Eurorack. So it seemed like a no brainer to put our systems together, especially yeah. as Alex is a focalist, which I was really excited about, you know, and celloist, like using electroacoustic um, kind of like source was, was something that I, I really wanted to try, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and it was also, um, Sort of seeing Nick perform solo as well. I can't remember where it was. It was like a small kind of art center. Simon Fisher Turner was playing as well. And Nick did like a really oh, yeah. short set before you had to run off and get a train. But it was, yeah, <laughs> I think it was the first time I'd seen sort of Eurorack used in a really sort of musical way, even though it was still quite sort of minimal and quite sort of intense. Um, it was, I, I kind of didn't realise you could use drums within Eurorack that way, you know, and sequence them and, you know, and introduce, you know, samples and other other frequencies. And, yeah, it just really blew me away. Um, yeah, and then slowly over the, over the next few years, I kind of started moving towards using Eurorack myself. I was wondering if there were sort of things where, because there must be some kind of level of trust that you go into when you're working on a collaboration. And uh, and when you started talking about kind of doing this project, what what was the sort of like discussion process about it? Or was it kind of just very natural and it just happened? Yeah, I think it was just quite natural, really. I think the fact that we were already friends Mm. and had a lot of, um, you know, similar interests as well. I think I think sometimes you know the best collaborations work when you're when you when you're not really discussing things, especially when it's centered around improvisation. I think that's a real killer for improvisation. I think any time I've you know before a gig I've gone okay we'll start off really quietly, and then of course like 
everybody blurts in and it's just you know total chaos for the first 15 minutes or something so i think it's really good just to leave any sort of preconceptions behind of what it might be and then i think i think that leaves it open to um to you know good things happening hopefully yeah i think also we've both got like quite a history of collaboration mm. and um so we both on that same sort of like mindset of listening giving space and you know what's less is more before we even started like sort of a mutual respect to hear what each other is doing and then kind of work it and you know we did it in my studio so it was kind of real comfort kind of um you know there, there wasn't it wasn't sometimes I've done sort of collaborations that it's like pushed in front of an audience quite quickly Mm. um so in that way you're sort of almost like collaborating with the audience as much as you're collaborating with your collaborator if that makes sense but um so it, we were in a sort of situation where it was really comfortable and um so naturally straight away there was no sort of like um expectation so so it could naturally form that's yeah, def- yeah definitely yeah 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 so there's like a level of like it would be any other kind of human interaction in a way you you kind of sort of saying as yeah. well that that you know like in having a good conversation it's there's a sort of you know a naturalness and a kind of um an openness that can make a good conversation yeah um, yeah e- even an argument you know can be <laughs> quite you know productive sometimes so i think as long as it's like yeah both sides are open whether you're agreeing or disagreeing Mm. I think, you know, that can produce like, quite interesting results. I, th- I think what you're saying about an argument, that's a really good kind of comparison in a, in a way, isn't it? Because I think arguments can quite often be very loaded and people have their own agendas and and having a good discussion, it does require a kind of openness that maybe is a little bit like an improvised collaboration. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, um, at the point when we, we first worked together, we didn't know each other to, to you know there was still sort of a politeness there yeah yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> although you told me not to be so melancholic which was oh, quite yeah. good <laughs> which has definitely I, <laughs> definitely right, been that... my default setting for like my solo work <laughs> <laughs> do you mean musically yeah or just emotionally you know like mm. sometimes I could definitely sort of go down that that route you know yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. I like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you recorded it at, at Nick, this was recorded at your place, Nick, was it? Yeah, I have a, um, a studio I built um, outside, which is, it's almost like a little, um, I mean, it's a very small space. It's just got enough space for two tables it's, and it's, and it's mini- you know, it's quite minimal. So it's just set up to plug in and play and record. You know, I love I've, it. I've yeah. not, I've not got this expansive like <laughs> studio session. You know, I've just Did... got a couple of Genelec speakers, and mm. you know, it's it's just practical and almost like, um, yeah, it's like a little bubble space where you can just concentrate solely on your Eurorack. Yeah, it's such a great space. So I, I love it. Mm. And do you think also it's kind of like uh, being in the countryside recording it as well? Like, is there something about drawing or letting the the kind of the surroundings into how, how the sound is kind of made? Um, um, well, yeah, I mean, my my experience of living in London and cities um, in comparison to living in the countryside, it, I mean, it hasn't really changed my, you know, the way that I attack 
with my mm. sound and it's definitely not quietened down and got mellow but it does <laughs> give you the right sort of open mindless space and and um, concentration that you probably wouldn't find in the city mm. it hasn't made the you suddenly turn into nick drake no, I do listen to him, but you know, <laughs> sometimes. But definitely, no, no. I still got, I still got my own agenda of noise manipulation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Nick, with you, like you know, because you know, in collaborations in the past, like you know, obviously collaborating with Carter Tutti, you know, as well, and they're like some of the most sort of like, you know, kind of legendary improvisation electronic improvisationists of all time really were there, were there certain things that you kind of like learned from working with them that you kind of just didn't really connect with before absolutely I think it was that it was cozy who said like you know what can go wrong with improvisation nothing you know just yeah. <laughs> um and um, um, what can you learn by regurgitating something that you've made recorded and mm. um, it it you know, with, with Factory Floor, we did semi-improvise, but we did kind of know how it was going to pan out. With um, CTV, I had confidence that I was working with two people who just were exceptional at improvising and knowing their tools. And I think that what I learned from them is that if you have preparation with your setups, mm-hmm. um, a kind of loose idea and just have your own individual voice going into the melting pot of free people it will work also I had huge amount of respect for them both so mm. it kind of with factory floor it was all like every everything was all at once you know there wasn't really respect for the other people on stage it was almost <laughs> like an attack like but with CTV it was almost like um I need to wait my turn to play my parts in response to what Cozy was doing he was using the same instrument like guitar um, and electronics so yeah it was a learning learning point for me definitely that sounds quite nice the way you describe that it kind of reminds me of jazz in a way yeah like that like having you know like the saxophonist kind of waiting for the response I guess or the yeah part de- of the conversation definitely and Chris is amazing at kind of um holding back and then just like gradually intensifying the rhythms and the you know um so you almost like you're listening to him in with intent to like know that it's going to kind of like build and build and build Mm -hmm. and once it builds then obviously we're we're all sort of like you know it's let go this is amazing it's like this big soundscape and and the sound gets bigger it's exactly the same as jazz in a way Mm -hmm. I guess yeah. 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 And, and there's something that I always love asking DJs or talking about with DJs. And I know you both DJ a little bit as well, but in, in terms of relating <laughs> it to improvisation as well, that there's this kind of thing that like I've kind of started to call the zone, which is like that sort of point where like in a really good DJ set, and I think it m- might apply, or it's interesting to see how it you interpreted it with, with how you both recorded, um, where all of the elements are in place and, you know, maybe you've kind of set up a few algorithms or a few setups. And then there's a point where everything starts to just flow and go kind of automatically. And and in a DJ set, you know, that's obviously like the kind of the DJs kind of just responding with the dancers and, and mm-hmm. the architecture of the building and the sound system and even the security guards, you know, and, and, and the vibe of the weather that day. And and then everything just kind of goes automatically. And, and I was wondering if there was a sort of similar 
feeling when when you collaborated together? Um, not not uh, not so much because obviously, like all those elements that you talked about, do come into play in a live situation. Um, it, it's getting the comfort um, and getting into the zone. Um, I think instantly with Alex, it felt like we were in the zone. Um, yeah, because we both have very distinct um, sound sources with, with our vocals. They kind of work together really well. That was actually the, the unraveling of how our sounds work together was instantaneous and exciting. You know, we knew straight away that, that, that this was going to work. So mm. there wasn't um, any sort of point where we got into the zone. It was almost in the zone for two hours uh, um, yeah. and then we go off for a break and we come back in the zone Alex took the recordings and edited because he's really good at that. Um, mm. And that was another part of the the kind of steps of collaboration is, is trusting the other to like edit. Um, and the edits came back and I was like, wow, did we do this? Did we create this? This is amazing, <laughs> you know. So Yeah, um, and I didn't really do much to them really, like a little bit, you know, just a bit of production and mm. – a little bit of um, delays and some of the rhythms just to get them to sort of move a bit more. Some of them, you know, felt a bit static and just to add that. But um, but that was about it, really. It was all it was all there. And um, and I, I love, you know, editing. It's just like, I mean, collage has always been a huge part of what I do visually mm. and, and with music. So, um, yeah, it's just a pleasure to get audio back. And it... it always feels like a real gift as well especially from the other person that I'm collaborating with it's like wow I've got this moment in time mm. that I'm now able to just to, to to amplify and get it to sound as good as it can and and just to still kind of build sort of listenable tracks out of improvisations you know because um I think sometimes there's there's always sections where it's 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 okay, but it's not as interesting as other parts. So I'd take mm. the more interesting parts and then kind of build, you know, a, a linear piece out of those. And and like Nick was saying, just making sure we're both leaving loads of space, just dropping myself out completely and just leaving Nick's stuff and um, and doing the same with some, you know, little kind of sections of her parts, but... Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of sounds like I know you say good fun then, and I, that's kind of something I got from the record as well. It just sounds like lots of good fun. It sounds yeah, like you yeah. had loads of fun doing it. And I guess the editing process there is like a real kind of element of selflessness to it, like you were saying that you're just trying to kind yeah. of enhance what's there. You know? Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, I think I've been in situations sometimes where I felt like there wasn't, you know, I don't know, I wasn't being heard or something. And I, yeah, really, you know, want to, you know, make sure I'm not doing that to somebody else, that I'm kind of amplifying them rather than, you know, trying to have like a struggle between who's who's being heard. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of like, Alex, with your work as well, like, again, like this week, I went back and kind of listened to a bunch of stuff and... um I, you know, I think like I kind of reconnected with Guild of the Asbestos Weaver. And I think, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I think one of the things that I love about it and I always loved about it is it kind of reminds me a little bit, not sonically, but just in terms of creating this world of Here Comes the Warm Jets, uh, Brian Eno. Sure. Got, yeah, yeah. Got this kind I of often, whole 
I often get the Eno. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, you know. I've never, never owned. I've never owned an Eno album except for um, uh, Evening Star with Frippin' Eno. Oh right. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. But I do, but I do love Eno, and I have yeah. obviously uh, listened to those albums. But um, but yeah, I think he's got that kind of way of singing as well. That's um, quite sort of plaintive. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. like a spoken. It's like, yeah, spoken voice kind of amplified and stretched. and Very English. Um, yeah. yeah, very English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like John, John yeah, Cale yeah. can do that as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I always think as a musician, he's, I think he's sort of, is he self-taught, you know? I don't actually know. I, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I mean, he has like, I mean, he's obviously like main was art school, but I, I do think he had some sort of like, um, knowledge of okay, of, um, yeah, yeah, because yeah, I haven't got a clue what E or F or G <laughs> or anything is. <laughs> well, I do, I've been you know teaching myself that a bit over the sort of latter years of making music, but um, yes, yeah, so especially not early on, I just kind of I'd sit down with John Fay records mm. and just tune my guitar to what I thought it something vaguely was, you know, mm. and then I'd kind of open tunings has always been a real um created leap off point for me yeah do, do you find this kind of um i mean i don't know about nick were you were you self-taught as well or or did you have like a kind of uh, a kind of conventional musical education i was absolutely self-taught and <laughs> I, you know like um i did want to do piano when i was young never happened and I'm kind of grateful. I mean, this is a conversation I have a lot with Cozy. It's like, do do I, you know, I was like, do I go and, you know, do some sort of degree in music to learn how to read music? She's like, why? You know, <laughs> you, you will miss, not, not just, you know, like I really um, admire uh, musicians who are in our world that can read, you know, who's taught music as well. But I think when I've worked with orchestras, there's definitely a different mindset can't go beyond it's very difficult to like um do what we do in in a natural way is it, it you know it's um hard to improvise with an orchestra mm. that i found yeah, yeah in yeah. fact impossible <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think there's this kind of uh because i when I, when i was doing music i was also this kind of fear i had of of learning um uh, you know i was self-taught but also this kind of fear of actually wanting to learn what notes are and now i'm a writer i have a fear of actually knowing what really what the definitions of like a noun and a verb is really you know because it's sort of almost like and i don't know whether it's just me being sort of childish or I have this feeling that it will take something away from how I approach something and I, I don't know I mean I'm sure you can kind of use kind of uh, conventional classical techniques or education to really enhance what you do but I do think speaking with a lot of musicians that are self-taught that there, there is sometimes this a fear of uh of what it might take away from you. I think there's also the thing of that um you always want what you don't have as well because I think a lot of classical people really wish they could free themselves up and just improvise and just completely go with the flow and also self-taught people you know sometimes you know myself or sometimes like but I wish I had that knowledge so I could just easily impart that to somebody else and just mm. you know get on with the work but I think you know the thing is the the um 
element that we all have is, is is sound. We can always communicate through through that. You know, even just kind of whenever I've been working with other musicians, you know, even just humming parts or singing them, and then you know immediately they're like, oh yeah, 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 you know. And you know, I've, I've been working with um, saxophone player Carl De Silva, and he really knows his stuff, you know. And um, you know, yeah, and it's just yeah, I just have to sort of explain things I'd like to hear, and you know, and, it, and it's not always exacting, but I like I like that, you know, because it means that other person's bringing their their element to it. Mm. And and do you, I, I was wondering if there were like sort of interesting ways that you kind of describe sounds in in that way like i mean what i was wondering if you, if you have like a kind of a sort of visual kind of sense that you draw on when you're kind of talking about sounds or like a synesthetic kind of quality sometimes not really no I've, you know I, I kind of i have more sort of imagery but that's you know quite sort of abstract surreal imagery stuff that i can't really put into words you know mm. But I probably wouldn't impart that to somebody else, you know, mm-hmm. and I certainly never write down, you know, whenever I see those written scores, a part of me is always sort of jokingly like, come on, that's <laughs> <laughs> how the fuck is anybody supposed to interpret that? Well, like, <laughs> Although uh, I love them, they're really yeah. beautiful to look at and, you know, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like play that <laughs> play that tea bag play what that yeah, tea bag yeah, sounds yeah, like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sounds like a like a Yoko Ono prompt yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick what about you do you do you kind of like draw on kind of visual um yeah when I've worked just for um sort of for purposes of like trying to get across the idea when you're working mm. um, remotely like when I worked with Ashley Paul obviously she's a she 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 writes music so I would do a draw I would draw type of score mm-hmm. in, in my own sort of translation of drawing also like I do see sounds in sort of shapes and three dimension in a way that you know like um so when I've done my own sort of like um notes especially with Eurorack you tend to write notes like actually I've got notes you know where you mm. just draw and um in 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 your own technical language which can be crosses and dots and squares and and, you, and it kind of makes some sense to yourself I don't know if it makes sense to anyone else so that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> but it, I guess it, they can act as a good framework for kind of like tuning yourself back into like a thought process that you had or you yeah. know yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, to because you can't really recall on your Iraq, um, mm. it, um, and I, and that's why I use Ableton not with Alex, but when I do solo work, I use Ableton just for sequences and stuff to put keep me on track on t- terms of like being able to, especially to perform a record, you know. Mm. Um, so in a way, that is a kind of score, you know, just like looking at sequences and things and triggers. That's mm. just a different approach I suppose numbers um and yeah I mean pragmatically I think about how how things work um and you have to have some of these like limitations on yourself with your rack I think because you can kind of go off on one you have a patch and you can go off on one in like this creative hole mm. for a whole hour or so in front of an audience is not that much fun for the audience <laughs> so to be able to change things you do have your own way of writing stuff down yeah yeah, yeah. and um 
and it's kind of um, like um, it kind of feels like one of the things I get out of both of your work in, in different ways. It feels like as a listener, uh, my own is like obviously it's very interpretive to myself, you know, but it, it feels like there's a lot that you can get lost in. And like Alex, you sort of mentioned before about like making music as a mode of psychic transportation. And and Nick, you kind of, there was like, I don't know whether it's true or whether it's just one of those sort of things that you kind of read and then it gets republished about, about you sanding off the red of your first Telecaster to kind of, um, because it felt like too much of a statement. I don't know if that's true, but it, it kind of <laughs> yeah. feels like you create these worlds around the sounds you do, you know, and yeah. not, I know that's obviously not always like a contrived or it's ever a contrived thing. It's just how people approach creativity. But I was wondering how you both sort of interpret like your position in the sound world around you and just kind of maybe stepping back and letting the, the sound kind of become the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not as as an individual, I'd rather be um just part of the machinery, I suppose. Mm. That there I don't know whether it's a UK thing and you know, growing up in the sort of like eighties and nineties, there seemed to be this whole idealism about around pop star, especially male pop stars and the you know, mm. and it's um it's all centered about that. It's all centered about the indiv- indiv- you know, the identity around that person whereas I prefer I think music was never meant for that I think music and sound was always meant to be like a united joyful experience so I'm kind of like just part of the machinery Mm. yeah for me I mean it's always just an extension of my visual work and my interest in in yeah in visuals so yeah yeah so I mean Often it's funny because, you know, I remember reading a few reviews or some people came up to me and said, you know, could I have this imagery of this, um, whatever, kind of landscapes or, you know, things. And I, and, and, and I had placed that into the music, even sort of um, instrumental music, and it still gets translated somehow. But I like to keep those things quite vague mm. and quite kind of just in the background and somehow this sort of permeates into the into the music. And, of course, you know, I mean, I, I make most of the artwork for albums that I work on, so, of mm. course, you know, people pick up on that as well. But, um, you know, it, it's similar to ideas that I want to put into the music or sounds that I want to put in. It's I kind of keep these things in almost like my peripheral vision. Mm. I don't really know what they look like. But there, it's it's a it's a feeling, yeah. And somehow, yeah, it translates. Mm, yeah, yeah. And and actually, I I kind of, I mean, there's a lot to dig into there, really. What both of you are saying, like, and 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 Nick, I definitely do relate to um, as a guy that kind of grew up in the the 80s and 90s. You know, um, I felt like it took me quite a few years, like making music or loving music, to kind of weave myself out of this kind of toxic what I fit consider now, and I didn't realise at the time, sort of tos- toxic kind of masculine rock star kind of identity yeah. that kind of came around. And, you know, and I think like without wanting to kind of name names, because I don't, I think that is also kind of being quite toxic to do that as well, <laughs> you know, um, just that, but I, I definitely felt the pressure on myself to sort of act a certain way that kind of prioritised like sort of figureheads and, behavior rather than like it's kind of immersiveness in 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 music that I think hopefully that we're sort of 
a lot more, at least in underground music and and sort of independent music, sort of you know immersed in fully. Yeah, I think when you know, as you grow up in that environment, you don't really know. There's no, I can't remember the point where I thought to myself, "Oh no, I don't have to be this enigma on stage." You know, mm. I can be part of the process of making, and um, and it's you know, like talking to musicians and artists in their twenties. It, it feels like it has broken through. Like gender isn't a, a subject so much. I mean, it is, um, but it, or you know who they are. Uh, it's it's actually weird because we're coming to the age of like you know like social media is probably more. I spend more time sort of working out social media sometimes in the studio. Drives me nuts, you know, just with with the last record. Um, so it's kind of a, an ambiguous, weird um, thing. You know, mm. I'm not sure. I don't think anyone is sure what the notion of pop star, musician, artist is right now, mm. the, the identity where it sits. But I think that's quite interesting. I definitely know where I want to sit. I know mm. that so much. But, um, yeah, you know, like when I first learned to play guitar, obviously I'd follow my guitar heroes and it just didn't, it was especially because the guitar heroes I did follow were male and they were amazing, you know, but it just like didn't feel like my uh, I owned it, you know. I didn't mm. own my own sound. So, but then again, we, we we can talk about the issue of like being taught music or learning music through ear and listening is completely different entry point, you know. So, like you say, there's lots of discussions to be had still made, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is an interesting sort of turning point, I think, at the moment. Um, and and you both mentioned there in different ways, the sort of, you know, like the sort of machine and, you know, the sort of machine qualities and the, the blending of human and machine, you know, in, in, mm. in, in different ways are on. And I know with like your, your microcorps projects, Alex, um, uh, there was a sort of idea of blurring the lines between human yeah. and humanoid. Yeah, I think that was sort of me trying to sort of remove myself from the music, so I think all mm. Alexander Tucker stuff was very much, even though all the imagery within the lyrics are quite kind of sci-fi and fantasy kind of based, mm. or or sort of surrealist sort of imagery. Um, it was still very much about, you know, though it was quite sort of troubling years. All the, you know, the time I was making those records, mm. so I was kind of, yeah, wanting to just sort of remove myself slightly and so that that's quite a new thing for me really but I felt I found it really freeing and it's taken me you know in directions that I didn't think I was sort of capable of um of following so mm. it's been a, it's been a real been a real positive and of course I'm still very much in there but you know I love I love this idea of you know creating characters creating other entities yeah and yeah and, and it's it's interesting that with with also with like modular as well and Eurorack as well um I think you kind of there was a quote again I don't know if it's been something that's been kind of like taken out of context where you um I think you sort of said you initially felt that it was like I don't know if it's intimidating but like a kind of a sort of a stairway to heaven kind of element to to sort of yeah the world of modular yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, I think it's just like anything, isn't it? Like some people, like you say, you know, the guitar world collect guitars, mm. and that's the kind of 
main focus and i think the same goes for the euro rack world as well that people just you know you know are collectors more than you know but there's nothing wrong with that at all of course you know but for me it's like whatever i do pick up um i like to really use it you know there's so much like online stigma against euro rack and i'm just like well choose any Choose any genre, choose any instrument. Mm. You could use exactly the same argument. And I think because, you know, Eurorack can be expensive, I think people, you know, there's quite sort of almost like keep seeing a lot of tweets at the moment, a lot of kind of class divide kind of stuff, you know, Mm. um, suggesting that, you know, if you if you use that equipment, then you must be from a privileged background and all of that, you know. Some guy saying they'll, you know, I use a fifty P app on my phone, you know, and you use all that shit. And I was just like it's it's whoever's behind behind it, you know. Like I've made music with dictaphones. Mm. I've made music with um with Euro rackets and everything in between. It just it doesn't really matter, you know. It, you know, I don't think you know, those arguments should really come into it. It's about, you know, it's about the music. Totally, totally. And, and for you, Nick, was was there a sort of like a, an, an entry point kind of moment for you in, into using this kind of, uh, these uh, machines? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of like after sort of like using the guitar in, in, a, in a way that we've extended techniques and all sorts of things um, that I kind of exhausted it. Um, and I was in factory floor, Dom, Dom left. Um, Mm. I wanted, I had to get synth, basically I had to do a lot of things in factory floor that I didn't do initially, like the synth, the arpeggiators and stuff like that. So I thought, well, a way of combining this is to ditch the guitar, use the guitar as a sound source in the studio. Um, and um, so, yeah, I literally just like started to build my own Eurorack system from there with the intention of like playing a show in a couple of weeks. So it was quite fast. The growing was fast. Um, and um, the Eurorack world, you know, the you, you, places like Rubberdub and all these amazing places that sell Eurorack are so good at explaining and talking about the equipment and like there's no intimidation of walking into a store and thinking this is too convoluted complex because everyone's there wanting to talk about it whereas you know I'd go to a guitar store in the past it was like the most terrifying (laughs) terrifying thing for me as a teenage girl you know talk talk about toxic environments yeah yeah I I I, I love it now I really love going in there now and seeing a teenage boy with a Nirvana shirt playing you know you know it's it's like um yeah it it felt like the community around the Eurorack like it is technical you could come from Mm. its technical technical view or musical view um experimental view a playful view there's so many different views into it which eradicates any stigma into you know like you couldn't be taught you know music or you don't know music you know it's it's you know the history or not it it really is up to you it's very free you know, just the same as improvising. Yeah, and that's really interesting. So, and also, like, I guess the, the nature of the unlimitedness about what you could do with it as well. There, there could be something potentially utopian about the idea of like having something that you can mold, refit, and and 
rewire in different ways. Yeah, it's like having your own palette of sounds. You know, you know what jobs that you want to be done. Like Alex was saying about the beat side, the you know the drums, the the the, arp- the arpeggiators, the the sample manipulation. Um, but I think you do have to have a real sense of if you uh, of yourself and your own sound mm, to definitely. then translate into that. Yeah, I remember you saying a really nice thing to me, Nick. That you you felt like the microcorp stuff. You you were like, I can still really hear you in it. Mm. Yeah. Like, oh brilliant that's great you know because there's a, there's always that worry you know that you kind of lose elements of yourself that you've really honed over the years you know mm. so that, that was really nice to hear thank you Nick. no problem <laughs> <laughs> and, and i think that was you know definitely listening to the album that you've done is like and that going back to the starting question i made was just like you do hear your both yourselves so well in in that collaborative rap album. You know, it, it does sound like sort of meeting point in a new way, but it also sort of sounds exactly like a conversation between two people you know anyway. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think the voice thing was really, you know, it was an exciting thing. Like how yeah. our voices work together yeah. um, and the fact that we both like use a source of a, um, a string instrument cello, you know, Alex uses cello and I'm using guitar is really nice because you don't get those tonal values coming just solely from electronics yeah it just seemed to work like straight away didn't it yeah totally right guys thank you so much thank you so much I think that was it so um, oh, thank, thank you, you. Thank you so much. So that was Nick Colkvoid and Alexander Tucker in conversation with me, Paul Hamford for Lost and Sound. And we had that conversation about a week ago, uh, early June 2022. Thanks, Zoe Miller, for, for organizing that conversation there. And the album, Brood X Cycles, uh, is the collaborative name they're calling themselves sleep nameless fear is the name of the album and it's out on 21st of june on the state 51 conspiracy label um yes 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 thank you so much to nick and alex for that conversation but as i sort of mentioned at the beginning and as you you know as you listen now i feel really sort of humanitized and utilitarianized concepts that quite often feel very very elusive and 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 definitely kind of i felt very inspired from from chatting with from the um my book coming to berlin out in the shops now thanks to eso for doing the theme music thanks to bearradio.org for hosting um and you can catch other english language podcasts from berlin on bearradio.org Hope you have a really lovely day and chat to you soon.